Hello. Today I am here with Dr. Harry Cohen, the co-founder and president of Be The Sun. So Harry is a shrink. He's a coach, a husband, a father, a restaurateur, a serial entrepreneur, a speaker, and most importantly, he is my friend. Uh, currently, he's an executive coach on retainer at several companies to help their executives and high potential managers hone their leadership skills and focus on their unique strengths. For the past 10 years, Harry's also owned a successful bar and restaurant in Ann Arbor, Michigan called The Black Pearl, which allows him the opportunity to practice the, principle he the principles he teaches. And a few years ago, Harry gave a TEDx talk on his coaching philosophy, which is centered around heliotropic leadership, and his latest book, Be the Sun, Not the Salt, distills his best advice into one bite-sized package, simple wisdom bound to evoke plenty of aha moments. And I, so obviously I was reading this introduction for people who know, and I'm here with Harry, who I've known for, I think, 20 years, a long time. Um, and he was gracious enough, actually, to send me this book, which we will talk about towards, I think, the end of the podcast. But my my very first reaction to this book was... It was as though he was literally in the room with me because I have known you for so long, just saying, Julie, just, you know, just keep, you know, the kiss, keep it simple, stupid. And so as we were talking, very, you know, funny, these little pithy, you know, very simple. It looks like a child's book at first. Like it came in the mail. I was like, what is this? It looked like a child's like bedtime book. It's small. You flip it open. There's pictures. There's like 10 words on a page. But every page is a very simple life lesson. So it's awesome that you have um, been able to put your decades of experience and shrinking, head shrinking, right, into, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, <laughs> into mm -hmm. something like this. But before we get there, because I know this is, it's, he's super enthusiastic because as well he should be, this is, it's a, um, he's sold already 9,000 of these things without really trying. But I want people to sort of get the benefit of what I know about you, which is kind of how you came to be. And so I, as I do, people know I like to start with, you know, childhood. So I like to take your spot as the, you know, armchair, the armchair psychiatrist mm -hmm. here and, and say, okay, tell me about your childhood. Mm -hmm. Did your mother love you, Harry? <laughs> ah, yes. It all comes back to, to mom. my mother. <laughs> so, yes, I grew up in a, in a middle class family. I was the youngest of three kids, the only son, and um, a really solid family. Uh, loving great parents, truly, and uh, they did instill in me some very basic, simple principles. My dad used to say a thousand times, you know, be good with people and have a marketable skill. That was the one principle that burned in my head. <laughs> and, you know, be good with people is what I made a living doing by talking about how to be your best self. So when I went to college, I was telling you this yesterday, mm -hmm. um, I went to uh, Cornell undergrad and I was all set. When I was in high school, I wanted to be a, a doctor, so I went to college. Because Was your dad a doctor? No, my no. dad was a business owner in Buffalo, New York, and he owned Royal Crown Cola, the franchise there, and I oh. definitely didn't want to go into the didn't family business. It was a disgusting plant in downtown Buffalo. It really uh. smelled. I worked there every summer, and I drove a pop, pop truck, and that's what I did, you know, to earn money growing up, but I knew I didn't want to be in the family business, huh. and so, again, I was going to be a doc, went to Cornell, took every class uh, to be pre-med and passed every single class with the exception of organic chemistry. And organic chemistry was the one that was the, the weed out course, which it's designed to do, and it did that for me. I dropped out of college. I went and worked at a mental health facility 
for a year and thought, okay, I'm going to be a different kind of doctor. Went back to school to finish my degree in psych and then went to Michigan to get a PhD. But that moment where I was, you know, I guess I you know, can't be a regular doc, I'll be a different kind of doc, it was pivotal for me. You know, you talk about holy shit moments. Mm-hmm. It was pivotal to me around, well, what the hell am I going to do? I knew I wanted to be a, a person who wanted to help people. And uh, you, you had an advisor, though, you told me, <laughs> who, you know, and this isn't the first time, by the way, I've heard somebody in a college story with a professor or a manager. I've had two episodes already where somebody said something, which I think is horrific, yep. that has turned people's lives to something beautiful. And that happened to you. Yep. And having listened to your podcast, I know you know which ones you're talking about. And, and by the way, listening to your podcast is very inspiring for me in terms of the life stories and the lessons that we can learn as you get confronted with those moments of choices. I went to my psych professor. Again, I'm re-enrolling in, in Cornell in the psych track, and I go to the head of the department, and I, you know, I have my one-on-one, and he says, what do you want to do? And I said, I don't know. All I know is that I want to help people. And he looked at me with that obnoxious, knowing, non-supportive way and said, well, most of the time when people say they want to help people, they really want help. It was such a bummer comment, and it really was salt on my roots. And I remember, which is why I can tell you this story, it was so gross. And what it inspired in me is, I'm not going to be like that. I'm not going to be that person, that shrink that always sees pathology. And in fact, my whole practice when I was in private practice was not, you have a pathology that needs to be treated that I'm going to treat. Screw that. For me, it was, I'm, I never bought the diagnostic pathology model as a doc. I'd have to sign things to get reimbursed by insurance. But I saw people with problems of daily living, and my job is to be a coach, a friend, a colleague, a good parent, a, a good advisor, a mentor, somebody who can say, dude, what do you, you know, let me, let me give you a different way of looking at it. Let me try and bring out a different way of you thinking about it. And I found incredibly... I found it incredibly satisfying for me, and I've never stopped doing that. From my shrinking days to my coaching days to my talking, now it's the same damn thing. Practice these basic, simple principles that will be absolutely life-changing if you just do them. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that's, that's my gig. I, well, I love that, and I, it's it's funny because it's what he says is exactly, I think, people who are afraid of going to therapy, mm-hmm. it's exactly mm-hmm. that kind of thing. That exactly. you, it's like, ah... Oh, you you want to help somebody because what you're really saying is you want help. I mean, you can just it's just like the worst possible stereotype, yep. right? Yep. So amazing that you were like, "Yep, I'm going to go in and I am going to again flip the model yep. on what this means and what we can do." And so um, you did. You went and mm-hmm. you did this. Obviously, you started. You did family. Yep. Right. So, there, first. Yeah, I was a family therapist for about 10 years, Maryland family therapist, and people with problems of daily living. And as a family systems uh, therapist, you tend to see systems. You see the problems with the kids are probably related to the system and the family and the mother and father. So I use that same lens in my executive coaching in corporations because there's usually a mommy and a daddy or some executive subsystem that's not functioning well together and they're not communicating. And so you try and help the the leadership team function 
But the CEO and the COO exactly. of the household. Exactly. <laughs> every leadership right. team in every company, you know, everyone can see, oh, those two don't get along and it's going to bleed into the rest of the organization. So you, you cut to the chase and you can talk about the obvious and get it done quicker. My thing in therapy was I don't want to be seeing you for years. I want you to get it, get it fixed, get it done, change and move on. I'm not interested in building a deck on your problems, you know, or buying a boat. I want you out of my office. I want the problem resolved and you gone and happy. So that's my sort of philosophy about life, which is how can we move you or anyone to resolution, to happiness, contentment, you know, fix the problem and move on. Hey, but you, so, you know, I always think about it. it makes sense to me. You know, I, when we met, I was at Ford and Ford had this big, um, I'm registered to call it, but, you know, Jim Schreier, our mutual friend, Mm -hmm. was part of this architecture. He wanted to come in and um, do something. It was really sort of a culture movement, Mm -hmm. right, Mm -hmm. at Ford. Mm -hmm. And it was called Ford 2000. It was in the year 2000. It was the whole company and all the dealers. And um, that's where we we met. And it made hearing you talk about what you did for families and thinking about how you looked at families and then how you were able to then very easily transition that into companies makes perfect sense. But you have said something that I thought was very, very interesting. And, you know, without getting too sort of shrinky on, you know, philosophies of nature, nurture, that kind of thing. It is, though, that you have said that it isn't. So, you know, Bobby turns out to be a bad kid. It's not necessarily mom and dad's fault for being a bad CEO and CEO of the household. Right. There's yeah. there's and and how then that transitions to the same thing in the corporate world. So here's my insight. I was a family therapist before I had children. It's a ridiculous thought. I mean, like, how could I help families before I had children? And I used to think, to your point, that all the issues with a family are because of the mother and the father and the family system. Well, that's true, but not also true. So then I had fraternal twin boys. These are <laughs> boys born at, born at the same time different as night and day. They're the same gender, the same age, in the same family. They were different and are different from day one. It was such an you know enlightenment for me that my wife and I, we raised them in a similar way, but they're different. And understanding people's uniqueness was so obvious for me. And as a parent, I'm still learning. They're 27. And I'm still learning how to create a culture that is the most beneficial, loving and supportive, but you know, somewhat demanding in some ways, so that they can be thriving. And it was really helpful for me to see, oh, my goodness, you have to do both. You have to recognize that people come wired as they are Mm -hmm. already from birth. And you can create a culture, an environment, a system that brings out their best regardless of whatever, you know, they're dealt with, whatever, you know, unique strengths and challenges that they're dealt with. Our job is to create an environment where they thrive, not just survive. So that's been my life's work as a parent, as a shrink, and as a coach, which is how do we create the best possible environment for individuals to thrive in, you know, tiny ecosystems. Whether in the it's, natural. Yeah. And kind of based on with their own. Totally. How they're, but so I'm wondering, did you, when you had those, when you had the twins, at that moment, did you believe that the you and your wife would be able to basically nurture them the way that you wanted? Was there any? Did, did <sighs> something happen in their in their like toddler years or something? Where you were like, there ain't no amount of stuff I'm gonna be able to do to this kid to make him like I have to accept the way he is. And did that? 
I'm just wondering if there was a moment. Honestly, without revealing too many things about my children's (laughs) upbringing, because they will hear this, and I do not want them to know some of the things that we said. You're kidding me. you got to be kidding me. I mean, so what, what, what I learned from 27 years of parenting and still learning is you have to be completely paying attention to who they are at different ages and stages because they're changing before your very eyes. Mm -hmm. And just because they're that age and gender, that doesn't... Look, they were the same age and gender, but one would be toilet trained two years later than the other or right about... What's up with that? Right. You were doing the exact same thing. Wait a minute, wait a minute. You're pooping in your pants and you're not. What's up with... Okay, now that's obvious to people who have lots of kids, but I only had two. And I, so at the same time. At the same time. So I didn't know. Julie, we have learned, I have learned, and I'm still learning. How do you parent a 5-year-old? How do you parent a 10-year-old? How do you parent a 15-year-old? They're 27 now. I want to be a great parent of these 27-year-olds. I'm taking my one son out to dinner tonight because he <laughs> just got into graduate school, and, and I'm so proud nice. of him. But... My, I mean, I, I still am parenting. It's different now. But what I've learned, pay attention. I'm not done yet. I have to be really, really aware of how I can be best for them now. My dad and my mom, back to what you asked earlier, mm-hmm. they were still parenting me in my 40s. It wasn't the same as when I was a kid, but they were saying stuff to me that was really, really, hey, you might want to think about... And uh, really, hmm. and I, I never like. Come on, I'm a grown up. I'm already successful. What do I? What do you need? But now I get it. They were really trying to parent me at a different stage, age, and I, I wish they were alive. I'd have these conversations with them now. now yeah. But, but that's my 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 key insight is we got to pay attention now. You know, I'm not done. Yeah. Well, no, of course, none of us are. None of us are done. But you. But what's interesting about this too is not only have you and I again I lived it firsthand how you were able to sort of teach us as managers how to parent Mm -hmm, (laughs) mm -hmm. in a managerial setting, if Mm -hmm. you will, and take what you're given and try to bring out the best in those people. But you, what I think is fascinating, I mentioned in your bio, Reed, that you created your own little Petri dish of this in uh, in Ann Arbor, um, where both my boys were born, by the way, at U of M Hospital in Ann Arbor. Yeah, a great little town. When you ever come back, please let me know. I I will. I didn't. I actually didn't know that you own the Black Pearl, so I I will for sure. But so this is your little petri dish of um, experimentation. So tell me what. Well, first of all, bring us back to when you started it. Why did you start it? How did you start it? I know there's a there's a good story in there. So as a serial entrepreneur, I'll roll the dice on almost anything. Well, I'll try it. You know, I did a travel agency for a while. I had a call center, which you actually successfully sold and. And, and, you know, I can't imagine you in a call center. Although well, it makes I, sense, like I, customer I, service I, and teaching people how well, to empathize on a phone. Okay, well, I guess so. Yeah, I had very little to do with that part of it. But <laughs> anyway, but, but the restaurant was, hey, do you want to invest in a restaurant? I said, well, where would it be? I saw the location. I said, well, I'll learn no matter what. I'll learn. My kids will be busboys and I'll, they'll learn customer service. I know about people. And, and maybe I can make it a successful business, but either way, I'll learn a ton. I asked the fellow who asked me to be an investor, I said, how are we going to do this? He said, OPM. I didn't realize at the time that I was the O and the P and the M, other people's money. Borrowed a million bucks from the bank. And, uh, and then after we launched and got it open, we needed more money. I went back to the bank. We opened the week that Lehman Brothers closed. And oh. all the banks shut down and needed more money. They laughed. So this is like, like in 07? 08 is when 08. we opened, mm-hmm. September 18th of 08. That week, everything shut down, and we opened that week. Mm. Well, I learned after three months that the guy that I 
partnered with was a crook. <laughs> and so I had to get him out. So I'm the sole owner of this, you know, uh, multi-million dollar business with no experience. But what I learned is pay attention to the basics. Get the right people you know, in the right seats on the bus and get the wrong people out and create a culture where over time people can feel that the owner takes care of them, the owner cares about them, we care about each other, take care of the customers, and eventually we'll make a buck. And over 10 years, we have expanded, built a new kitchen, built a private room. 7,000 customers a month come through that place. Every single month, we won a bunch of awards for our fish tacos. But I'm most proud that we support 45 families, that people, the employees, feel really grateful about working there, and that customers keep coming back and love it. And I'm just thrilled that I get to practice this stuff where the employees feel it, the management team practices it, and customers keep coming back. And, you know, eventually we'll make some money. Well, and you walk. So wait, but you're, this is you walk and you talk. I mean, of course. because it's great. Like we, you know, we, we ship you into our big corporate environments mm-hmm. and you can stand there and talk and then you get to go home. And I, I don't mean to belittle because yeah, no, I know how hard it is and you have to build these relationships. But you went and walked the talk by setting this up. So I have to believe you've got a couple of very, you know, I talk about these Hoshimos, a couple of really standout stories that put all those your life lessons and kind of into into an example that you were like, ah, here it's happening. It's at it's at work. I have it's, I've taught grasshopper. Oh God. So <laughs> so so here's the thing. You you I mean I have learned by watching other successful entrepreneurs and companies and wise leaders operate and you know the woman who wrote the forward to my book, Mindy Holman, <laughs> it's a six billion dollar privately owned company and they operate by doing what I try and do, which is take care of their people, take care of their customers, take care of the community, and do the next right thing. So, in the Black Pearl, what I've been able to do in those early years is get the right people in and get the wrong people out. And I must say, we I had to learn the hard way to get the wrong people out and get the right people in. There are people that will stink up the joint. Mm-hmm. And I made the mistake of allowing people that were toxic, salt shakers, to other people's roots in the business, and unfortunately for too long, and I have a, I, I allowed or, or created it, and that's the big insight for me. Any problem in the Black Pearl that has uh, arisen or gotten worse, I'm it. It's a garden for me, and if I got varmints in the garden, I let them in. And if the if the plants aren't thriving, it's they're not getting enough water, they're not getting enough fertilizer, they're not getting yeah. enough sun, whatever it is. And I've watched over the years, and unfortunately for me, it sometimes takes me a while to go. Oh God, I knew it. I have to get him or her out. Yeah. But tell me, so I have to imagine, well, look, I mean, and it gives you a lot of empathy when you're going to talk to managers who have to deal with that all the time because now you're living it in real practice. But I I know there's a couple of really great stories of things, either either one way to get somebody out or or one where you saw people doing what you, you know, could only hope that they would do, which will you share a story with us? Yes. So, I mean... Again, this is very, very quick. I mean, it happens all the time. This is one of the most beautiful things I saw, but I didn't tell you this one. But early in our process, my general manager, Michael, um, I see him bringing um, food in a styrofoam container to a couple on our patio. It's about 1130 at night Mm. and our kitchen's closed and they're 
they're seated on our patio eating from another restaurant. And I said, what's going on, Michael? What's going on? He said, those people, they're from out of town. He's transferred here. He's the head of the new uh, transportation authorities here from Seattle. And they came here. It was recommended. And our kitchen is closed. But I said, we're going to take care of you. The guy, my guy went around the corner to another restaurant got from the Fleetwood Diner, which mm. probably mm-hmm. still there, and got them dinner and brought them dinner and served it. to. I didn't tell him to do that. That's him doing the right thing for couples out of town, just taking care of them because that's how we want to roll. We will always take care of people because it's the right thing to do. And I didn't tell him that. But that kind of taking care of people... That's what I. But love. you've created that culture, you betcha. and it lives. I'm proud of that. Those are the those are the moments, and I know you have a lot of those. Moments. A ton of them, right? An absolute ton of them. And, and again, anybody who goes to the Black Pearl, I want them to experience. Wow, you guys have something special here. I want them to see and feel the contagious effect of people caring for one another. Mm-hmm. We've had so many people, and you know, this is just because I'm a shrink. I can see it. Who have had real difficulties in their life while employed there, and because I'm not an idiot. I can take care of them. I can help them in thousands of ways from their mental health challenges to their financial challenges to their family challenges to their to their criminal justice issue challenges. And I'm proud of that. There's a young man who's in prison. He gets out in November. He worked for us six years ago. And I've been talking to him every Saturday at 10 o'clock when he's allowed to call from the penitentiary because, you know, this is a kid that if he didn't have my wife and I, he'd, you know, he'd be going back. So You're this, I, his touchstone. Totally. So. But, but I don't mind that this is a kid who, who, you know, he screwed up at the age of 19. Kids screw up, mm-hmm. okay? So anyway, he's just one example of we'll take care of the people who work in that little family because it it feels like a family to us, and I'm proud of that. I love that. I love that you're living it. You, um, you're so you're forward as you mentioned, which I obviously I read your your book, and it's you can read it in less than an hour. I yeah, mean, and yeah, yeah. what I like about it is that I I have now I've left it out. We've got um in our in our house we've got a big cloth ottoman with these like you know, little mini tables on them. And I leave it there and I sort of, I roll the, you know, the soft cover over yeah. and I, it, it kind of is a bookmark into a chapter. And I've, I've got one son, he's a senior left at how, the house and I keep pointing. I'm like, I want you to just read one of those because, you know, kids, there's like, there's so much turmoil in this teen and there's so did much he stress. Did... He does. And he's like, mom, which one did you like? So I was, you know, and I was like, you know, and he knows my backstory too. So he, um, he pulled one out and he used, I think he used it or he used it as a thought starter for his college essay that he nice. was writing. Nice. Yeah. So I'll have to share that with you. But he, um, he he was able to sort of take a piece of that and, and relate to it in terms of how to be, because, um, you know, in these college essays, they want you to mm-hmm. write about giving mm-hmm. back something. So anyway, less about me, but more <laughs> about how how we were able to take something so meaningful from your book. And I wanted to ask how... How the impetus, you know, came about for you to actually finally write these things down. So, okay, so I'm 64 and um, getting near the end. End of what? Well, end of my life. (laughs) You know, I'll tell you a second. You know, if you see if you see him, there's no end in sight from what I can see. So, at at the point of this stage, age stage, I don't want to leave this earth without distilling what I've been talking about to people for 40 years. And I wanted to do it in a way that was remindy that it's 31 two-page chapters you can open up in any direction to be reminded of. If you had 30 things each day of a month, look at it and go, yeah, you know what? 
I could be a better listener. Yeah, you know what? I'm going to do the next right thing. You know what? I'm going to fill in the pothole of a street I don't walk down. You know what? I'm going to apologize. So nuggets of wisdom that are easily remindy for us, for me, for you. This is not profound rocket science. And yet the reminder to do the next right thing or apologize well or clean up after yourself or think win-win, any of these are, are to... Remind me and others of the basics. When you say, why did I do this? Because I don't have a lot of time left. People don't have time. Let this be 30 seconds, a timeless toilet read. Leave it in the john. <laughs> leave it outside. Leave it on your desk. Look at the cover. Make the point. Open up to any page. Go, got it. Yep. Thank you. I just gave this talk to this ad agency that you know well, and, <laughs> and they were eating it up for the simple reason that you don't have to do anything other than hold the door. Mm-hmm. Smile know- at a stranger. You know what I mean? Be, be, say please and thank you. It makes a difference. So, so, well, and it's kind of going back to the beginning where I, you know, I like to start with, you know, childhood. And you, know, you came from a very stable home yeah. with good, you know, good, solid, mm-hmm. salt-of-the-earth yeah. parents. You talked about your parenting yourself. This book to me seems like not just somebody, something for, um, you know, business people figuring out how to, you know, be a better teammate or be a better leader but it's as a parent now hearing you if you just just smile please and thank it is they're like actually just the things of life if you just do these things you'd be successful in life period and the key for me is a little tiny bit voting in the direction of your best or better self is all you have to do a smidgen more and by the way julie people already do this so just do that more as a parent I can be a better listener. I don't have to salt my kids' roots. I can bite my tongue. It's a great... I wrote it for myself and for you and for every parent and every kid, every person who wants to nudge themselves towards their better self. We will be happier and more effective if we practice this stuff. And it's the practice of it that makes us better at it. And I'm not done practicing. I'm still doing it. And so why I wrote it? I wrote it so that my life doesn't end without it being in the the bloodstream of our world that we can use this as a as a way of saying hey dude you're being salty thanks man i appreciate that hey just chill huh? appreciate it hey man come on a little bit more son you're right that's it just the just last night i was having dinner at the pearl and there was a woman who was really loud and was bugging me mm-hmm. and i was with a group of people and i was worried about whether they're having a good experience or not and i was looking over at the woman woman who yeah. was a terrible cackle uh-huh. and and he said harry relax we're drinking wine we're having fun chill and I appreciate the fact that he just did that. Don't worry. Thank you. Done. Taylor Swift, you gotta calm down. It's my Tr- favorite totally song. Totally true. Because I get spazzy too. You know. We I all, by the way, we all get spazzy. We get a little fired up. I get a little intense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But chill. the just chill a little. But the so the title I yeah. love, be the sun, not the salt. How did where did that come from? So I did this TED talk, which is about heliotropic leadership, and the heliotropic effect is the effect of all living systems to be drawn to energy, which sustains life, which is why a plant tilts towards the sun. Hence, be a positive energizer like the sun on the leaves of the plant, and not a negative energizer like salt on the roots, which makes them shrivel. So I ended the talk with be the sun, not the salt, leave them with an afterglow, not an aftertaste. People can remember that. The metaphor, be the sun, not the salt. B 
be a positive energizer, not a negative energizer. You know, I was joking before we started. The title is, could be, don't, don't be, be a dick. dick. Love it. But, I, you know, I didn't want to say that because people would be offended by that. It's so. hard to get that published, but well, it we is. can say it on Oh, my God. I got, don't be but, a dick. But it really is true. And <laughs> by the way, true. I can be a dick and I don't want to be. Right. And, and there's no excuse for me being a dick, period, full stop. So that's the title, Be the Sun, Not the Salt. Think in those terms, you don't have to do anything else. There's a million ways to be the sun, authentically, not fake. Just be it in your own way, because by the way, you already are. When you uplift someone, Julie, when you smile and you do something wonderful and people are uplifted by you, and they are, that's it, do that some more. And then when you are a dick, when you get all revved up, when you inadvertently, unintentionally, and unconsciously salt someone's roots, which we do, just see that you did it and apologize and do the next right thing. How hard is that? Well, it is hard Mm -hmm. sometimes. Mm -hmm. That's our gig. I went into this hospital once for, for, can I tell you the story? I would love it. Okay, I went into this hospital and I was anxious about an appointment. I go and I say, "Uh, excuse me, is uh, Dr. Lisi here? And your name is Uh, Harry Cohn. And you have an appointment here? Yeah, yes, I do. And his name again, uh, Dr. Lisi. And um, is this for a medical appointment? Uh, yes, it is. And um, are you sure it's at this? And then I'm now irritated. Right. And I turn, while she's talking to me, I turn and say, to call my primary care physician. I said, is it here or is it St. Joe's? Oh, it's not at the U. It's, it's Okay, sorry. I walk out. I'm at the valet stand. And I realize, wait a minute, I just wrote this book. Do the next right thing. Apolog-. I go back in because I realized I was obnoxious. And I say to her, I'm really sorry for being rude and disrespectful to you. I'm anxious about this appointment. And I just, that's no excuse. I just want to say I'm sorry for being rude. And she goes, her face softened. She goes, thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Really do. Good luck on your appointment. Now, I felt good that I did the next right thing after being a dick. Right. I'm not, I don't want to meddle, but I'm just saying I did it. Right. And that's what the book does for me. It reminds me, dude, come on. Thank you. And then I found out I got cancer. Oh, my God. And so that's the good news. The good news is, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that that was the appointment. The good news is it's great cancer. It's bladder cancer. I've had several surgeries and several treatments, but I'm fine now. But here's the good news. And it really is, Julie, it's the best gift that I've ever, ever received. And I mean that because it really reminded me having cancer makes no difference whatsoever. I get to practice being the sun and not the salt in every one of my treatments, in my life going forward. I don't know how long I'm going to live, but it looks really good for now, but it doesn't matter. I get to do this, Julie. And the fact that I have cancer is the gift that I get to say, dude, I can be the sun and not the salt with my nurses, with the doctors. And I got to tell you, I got a really good cancer. You know what I mean? I don't have the bad stuff. For now, it makes no difference. I'm so grateful that I have all these wonderful resources that I can even talk about this. I used to say I found the the secret to life, the cure for cancer. Well, now I get to talk about it. So it's it's that simple. Be kind. Be compassionate. Be grateful. Lean into any virtue that you love. You just can't go wrong. There's no downside. Yeah. So do you have a favorite uh, lesson? Yes. Remember who you are. There's 30 chapters, but who? what do you mean, remember who you are? Well, you could say, the, do the next right thing. Remember who you are. If you're a good person, and by the way, you are. I happen to know you. And, and by the way, this book is for those that are only good people, okay? For people who aren't good people. It's not. But if you just remember who you are, you vote in the direction of who you are. 
That's it. So if you remember, oh, wait, I'm a good person. I'm a, I'm a person who wants to change and improve and grow and be my best self and be kind and thoughtful. I want to be a good friend and a good husband and a good per. Well, shit, then do that. Do the behaviors that would lead to that. This great book I would recommend highly, Atomic Habits. It's about the tiniest little things that make a huge difference. That's the point. You don't have to be unanimous in winning the vote for your best self. Just if you do 100 things and 70 are great, great. Do 71. And if you do five things, great. Go for six. That's the cool part. So if you remember who you are, you know, Simon Sinek talks about why, which is phenomenal. You got to know why you want to lean into this stuff. Really important. Equally important is who are you? You shouldn't do any of this stuff unless you know why you're doing it and who are you. And if you know why you're doing it and you know who you are, damn, the world is just fabulous. And people will be uplifted by you because of who you are. I love that. My my dad used to say, remember where you came from. And I think it's it's of the same thing. Exactly. You know, we are all just people. So and we all start from the same place and we will all end up in the same place totally physically it's a great it's a great lesson and i'm so happy a that you have been a guest here because it's he, you have been a friend to me and i will i will be happy to tell that in in the times of my greatest personal stress you were one of the phone calls that came when people really when they weren't calling and you called and just what can i do and so you always have been there giving those lessons Freely, and I think that um, there's no better person to put put those life lessons down on paper than you. And I hope people are just listening to your energy will then pick up this book and just because it's such a simple, easy read and it's a great pass along book. It's a perfect one for that. A great little Christmas thing, whatever. It's a great it's a great life lesson reminder, and it is a good gift that you are leaving. Julie, the reason I reached out to you is the practice of the same thing. It's what what is a friend but someone who can reach out to someone in need and say, hey, man, is there anything I can do for you? I'm there for you. And that's all I said. I didn't do anything for you other than reach out and say, I'm there for you. Well, that's a sweet thing to do to a loved one or a friend or a brother or a sister. Man, oh, man, imagine if we did that more. I want to do that more. Right. Period. How, because it's I remember as clear as day. I and there's too. so few. You know, and you do too. But it's but those are the things. It's such a small gesture, but it can be so meaningful. And I think we all forget that. You posted something, which is why I reached out to you again. You posted something from someone who I believe was dying. Yes. And had died. Had died. And again, it moved me to tears, which is why I reached out to you again, because it touched me about, hey, when we get the knock on our shoulder, hey, it's your time, which we're all going to get. Well, let's not waste our life now. Let's get get that lesson now. And that was the same point. That's why I'm actually here. Because you, by posting that, invited me to say, oh, excuse me, Julie, I want to, I want to, share this. this and it's so t- I'm so glad you did because it has been I, again I've already shared it with my friend my 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 son I got another friend who uh, a friend of a friend who is a quote-unquote asshole and <laughs> he picked it up but he picked it up he wants to be better that's the first step <laughs> don't be a dick <laughs> oh Harry thank you so much for coming it's been such a treat my pleasure right. anything I can do for you you just ask <laughs> It, and I know that's true, and it's always been true, so not about this. So please, um, if you have this, I'm, I'm going to give a plug because Good. I believe in this. Be the sun, not the salt. Dr. Harry Cohen. Thanks, everybody. Thank you.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.